All right. Welcome everyone to Shay Toddcast. Um <laughs> we we are back and this week we have an amazing guest, uh one of my longtime friends in the industry, um straight out of Chicago via Todd's basement this weekend. Um <laughs> Josh Blaylock of Devil's Due Entertainment slash publishing slash comics slash whatever you want to call it now. I don't know which iteration we're on. <laughs> I lose track. <laughs> Full circle. It's back to studios. studios. Back back to the way it was. Awesome. Uh, some of you guys may remember Josh from the 2019 Three Rivers Comic Con when he did the Mercy Sparks beer, um, the Sinful Stout, which is still one of my favorite arts because um, it's just so clean and so... Um, Yep, there it is. It's very clean. It's very concise. I like the bright yellow background. It it made it worth it. Uh, like it, it made it very pop, like to me. Um, and those cans are very limited anymore. Um, but I I enjoy it. I'm sure Todd's giving you a bunch to take home, so it's good. So, <laughs> how yeah. was your day in the warehouse? No accident that that was that he that was set next to the computer here. <laughs> oh, got it, got it. How was your day up at the warehouse today? Because you came to visit for business. You're not just here to hang out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'd, uh, you know, we, as time to time we do, we publishers sell stock at massive volumes to uh, certain retailers. And uh, yeah, uh, I was there sorting through boxes and finding lots of surprises. Uh, you accumulate this inventory over years and you end up, if you're using third party warehouses, stuff is supposedly sold out or gone. And then you can find you, years later, you find like, Oh, wow, look what we have here. It's a box full of this thing that doesn't exist anymore. Um, so that was interesting. And mm -hmm. yeah, I saw the massive, uh, yet another massive new dimension facility. With yeah. A million it's, comics inside or <laughs> some work for that. Some madman with a warehouse as I like to call him. Yeah. <laughs> He's our personal doctor who. So, um, Yeah. Uh, I, and actually, I think the first time I met you is actually was at one of your old warehouses. Um, we were going out to AC Games Day in Madison, and Todd talked us into not only muling a crap ton of beer back, um, <laughs> we then had to stop at your warehouse on the way back and buy a bunch of stuff and then drive it back to Pittsburgh. And um, first off, I need to tell you guys that the van we took was only a two-seater and an empty back. So we actually had like, like fastened like a, a lawn chair to the side, <laughs> which made it very fun when you're trying to sleep and it's just oh like sliding and you're like, Oh God, we're going to die. Um, <laughs> so then on the way back, because we bought so much stuff from you, we just built a throne in the boxes and that's, that's where we sat. It was a, it was a good time. It was a fun trip. I just remember that warehouse being like super old. Like you could see through the floor down to the next layer. Oh man. On part of it. Yeah. Yes. It was some old 1800s, like Chicago former factory or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was nuts. Like the, the freaking trains were like flying right like outside. <laughs> I was just like, Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's... Yeah. That's right. It was right next to the green line. And then, yeah, um, yeah we had, I had man, thousands of books stored there. Mm -hmm. I had, uh, other, there were several people that had things stored because it was all mutual friends of the guy that owned the building and he, um, you know, or any business venture he'd been in. There was like a, I don't know, a hundred thousand of these weird little like toothbrushes or something that some kind of 
patented toothbrush thing and these like little rubber bouncy balls and, and then uh yeah and then and then uh I don't know if it was a year later or how long after that, but that December of 2012, the guy calls me. He's like, he's like, do you hear about Western and 21st? <laughs> and I'm like, what? That's the that's where the building was. Mm. Huh? And I was like, I think I was at my mom's for Christmas. And he's like, burnt to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. The whole building. Speaking of being old, like there was like some problem with like a gas main or something. And then, and, uh, that that thing went up in flames, glorious flames, like of all kinds of interesting colors because of all the weird shit that was in there. Yeah. Oh man. That, Unfortunately, that, I did not have that stock insured there yet. Uh oh. moving around and that would have been that would have been fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um yeah, so then uh you know like yeah, you know, you've been a you've been you used to be a staple at the old Pittsburgh Comic Con. Um, I've seen back. you at uh, like obviously C two E two, which is like your home home show. I've seen you at Baltimore. I've seen you at New York. I've seen you at a bunch of places. Um, you like you are one of the original independent studios that really took entrepreneuring to a new height, in my opinion. Um, when we were talking the other day about how you said like I can't remember which year it was, you said like you hit like forty state or forty shows in like a year or something like that, which is like oh every week but holiday weeks and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh yeah, it was sometime around 2014, 2015, and I forget how much time spread out exactly, but I hit forty cities. Um so I would do uh, we just really wanted to, I wanted to gear up for like major promotion and just getting into the stores with the retailers and, you know, um, so I just kind of strung together this whole network of all of the cons that would be happening, you know, starting with the ones that were bringing in, were bringing me out and, um, or bringing in artists and stuff. Uh, and then I would just meet up there and then, you know, then you just start to, you just start to connect the dots. Like, okay, what? what's what cities are along there what stores are along there which what possible routes could you take and and then you're like going on the facebook page like okay what's the store look like <laughs> you know <laughs> can they even tell anyone about this if they had a if they had a signing or anything and then just and then put signings on the way so theoretically i would never have to drive more than like four hours mm -hmm. to get to the next stop and then um and then try to be on the road for you know ideally the best scenario was to be able to like do connect two shows so you could do do a couple signings on the way do the show do a couple signings on the way to the next show and then mm -hmm. do a couple signings on the way home that'd be a nice little stretch um, awesome. but then then it is it, it is interesting because you're really the only great day to sign in a store is a wednesday or saturday you know right. um uh, so i i did a lot of tuesday signings and <laughs> you know, weird Monday signings and stuff. And it's like, I just looked at it like, you know what? We're setting up where we're, you know, there'll still be flyers up in the store and, you know, people talk about it afterwards and you, you know, you can leave stuff for people. If there's any like of your readers in their pull boxes that they just know would like the stuff, you can leave mm -hmm. stuff for that. So I think they'll still think, I think it was really effective. I don't know. I, I really, I like that kind of stuff. Um, but, um, it's it's I don't know if I'll ever do it again or not or if it'd be <laughs> um 
But glad I did it and, you know, got to see all kinds of interesting places in the United States of America. I bet. Uh, I, I think that was... any other reason to go to. Was that the year that, um, that like, Plume and uh, Scorriers were coming out? Because I, I want to say yeah. I remember you stopping at our Mills store and you had this, like, giant Devil's do like, light-up sign... <laughs> Like behind you, we just put it on a couple chairs. Like yeah, yeah, I made that. I I, I made that <laughs> one awesome. by hand. I I kept trying to upgrade it after that, and the the, the best one the whole time turned out was the original one I made, which was just like, um, kind of these marquee lights with the bulbs inside, and right. you know, they um, I think that yeah, I I I got those. I like sourced those cardboard hollow letters <laughs> and ripped the tops off of them. Yeah. And then uh, spray painted all those. And then wow. so they're kind of shiny. They kind of look like metal. And then get those bulb, those big round bulb lights. Mm. Put those all through there. And it was very cabaret looking. I loved it. Yeah. So <laughs> cool. All right. So uh, one of the reasons you're here is we're uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about um, you've relaunched Mercy and now you're relaunching uh club nephilim right did i say that right uh Net launching as yeah, the first time yeah club yeah. nephilim nephilim yeah i guess i did i did not put the wrong rights emphasis on the right syllable sorry um <laughs> so uh we're gonna we're gonna i gotta i gotta open this up a little bit we're gonna take a look at the kickstarter we're gonna let you talk about it a little bit hopefully people get some love uh from it and uh give you a little bit of love from it and we can uh go from there Cool man, so, yeah. This wow, is, it's already uh, funded. Look at that. <laughs> oh yeah, we got yeah, we're doing pretty good. We got 20 days to go and uh stuff. We actually have another uh surprise little cover that's gonna drop really soon. We got some variants for that. Um yeah, it's uh this Club Netflix is the first real spinoff I've ever done of Mercy of Sparks. Uh, so for people who don't know, Mercy Sparks is like that's like my main personal series series i created it's been going on for on it different waves it's been going on for 15 years um it, that's about a devil girl that works for heaven hunting down rogue angels so she sort of uh does heaven's like dirty work that no one's supposed to realize needs to be done to keep things keep presentations clean and um she can change back and forth from a devil to devil true form to a human she's like always in this human glamour Anyway, that's been going on for a long time. It's uh, it's fun and irreverent. Uh, lots of action, lots of humor. Um, but then it it expands over time into this like much. Actually, you see what's going on behind the scenes. It's this bigger expanded universe of characters. And Club Nephilim has been in probably like a third of the issues, uh, where it's this uh, it's this sort of illumin supernatural like Illuminati only <laughs> type of uh, club that exists where it's sort of existent between the realms of the divine. So um, if you're a, there's all these rules in, in, in this universe about like a demon, you know, can't go to earth physically, you know, they can only possess people, but they can get to other planes. And uh, Club Nephilim is where all these things can like coexist. And so, but it's like kind of a brothel, kind of a, a black market, kind of a, a, Sometimes it's just a place where you might want to go like research crazy old books with arcane information in them or something. They have libraries and everything. So if you're a member of this club, you know, you can go there, you can uh, 
study a lost uh, mystic tome from out the library of Alexandria, or you can, if you got enough money, you can bang an angel. <laughs> or, or, it's um, like a uh, supernatural speakeasy, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's, uh, there's like, so there's a lot of character. I mean, so that book it's a little darker and a little it's a little a little more adult. Uh, and the um, it it so it deals with. I don't want to give too much away about what happens in Mercy, but this is a, a book for new readers where the former, the people running the club previously have been like dethroned. And now this new character, uh, this character's in charge who has appeared in the past. Uh, there, this focuses mostly on two characters, Ladara, this angel, who was an angel that Mercy had uh, had basically had, had for different reasons had been uh, tricked into helping uh, hunt down for heaven. That wasn't exactly what was really, you know, she was sort of duped. And now Ladara is Ladara, like she had lost her halo. Um, all a lot, a lot of these angels are trapped in club Nephilim who've lost their halos. So they're like dependent on this sort of like synthetic halo energy that the club's owners had created. And, um, so there's, yeah, that, that's how they keep a lot of these, a lot of the angels hooked to their down there mm -hmm. um, and their power is weaker so they can be pushed around. So now Ladara is uh, not in that situation anymore. And we thought she was dead, but actually she's back and she's a major part of the story. And this character, Ruth, who's a brand new character, uh, who actually is a little hint is possessed by this demon um, and has... Um, She's sort of done something to force this demon to be trapped inside of her. So she's like sort of forced this possession to happen for various reasons. And she's a dancer at the club who um, was originally sent there to infiltrate it and decided to stay. <laughs> but uh, it's being written by Pat Shand, uh, sort of working with me on just all the ideas I've had about this and uh things I want to do to develop more of those little side characters that have appeared in the background in past issues of Mercy Sparks. And we've got three great covers here shown by that's Joel Humberto Herrera, uh, who's done several, several pieces with us. Uh, that's the pulp style painted one. Mm -hmm. And then the one in the middle is me with uh, colors by Carlos Moreno. And then the one on the right is this uh, first ever comic book art uh, published uh, is Enerjax. Uh, Jackie G. Hmm. She's uh yeah, she's amazing. She has these really cool, super, you know, super dynamic, really busy images, with, like really heavy fashion sort of access yeah. to everything and a lot of cool details in the background. And were you uh, like, I just want you to draw this like they raided uh, Emma Frost's closet? Like because uh, that's yeah. really what it looks like. <laughs> I didn't put that together, but yeah, because that yeah, the design on the left is like my sketch based on one of my sketches for Ruth, and then Ladara the angel. She really did well. She so there's a reason why Ladara has covers her neck up. Um, in in Mercy, we we think she ends up dead, um, and we find out later it's not the case, but she has this scar. Hmm. Yeah, uh, no, she put so much thought into that cover. Like, I've never had someone write back so many notes, like thinking about what the vibe of the 
you know, club would be in, in her specific image and, and thought process behind the characters, what they're thinking. And, you know, I dig it. I dig it. It's a lot. probably better. There's better pictures down below of the whole thing. Okay. Uh, anyway, oh yeah, there's the full cover. People don't That's, realize. Holy uh, crap. Yeah. Like, that's a lot. I want to. I want to just start to get uh, the books out there and let people realize. Mercy Sparks at first glance, it's it's very accessible. It's very tongue in cheek, kind of fun, like almost like Hellboy meets, uh, future meets. You know, I always say meets a little bit of Bad Santa, <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of funny vibes. But then there's there's a lot going on, and now starting to release some other other series where. You know, there's a focus on the, on the other characters. Uh, this this might be my favorite. <laughs> yeah, you know, what? I just got this idea last week. Oh, like, I didn't so think funny. it was a week ago. And I was like, I got to do it. I finally got my Mickey idea. <laughs> my- <laughs> the fact that it's called us a, a Cleveland steamboat just it drew. It, I laughed so hard at that. The entire so. picture is centered around that stupid joke I came up with. <laughs> Oh, and there's a black and white. Excellent. Yeah. Oh man. Um, there's some work in progress of the uh, interiors uh, by Anna Martello. Holy crap! That's awesome. That's a big spear. That's a little flashback uh, montage referencing some of the previous stuff and how Dara got to where she is. Well, there's the. Reason for the neck scar. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that might leave a scar. We'll <laughs> so cool. I like the guy. The guy, there's the bouncer wanding people. It's like he's wanding them, but he's got like a magic scepter. This guy? That's his, like, yeah. That's like, he's like, <laughs> step aside. Like, woo, woo. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, look, it's like he's looking for mortals versus looking for immortals. Yeah. <laughs> there are oh, mortals are, there are mortals in there you know like if you got the right right connections but um also you know they're not necessarily responsible for what happens to you in there i like this this was pretty yeah. this one's nice too so yeah that's matt murhoff so matt murhoff was the main artist on all the mercy sparks issues and he doesn't uh i don't know if he's doing any comic stuff anymore but um yeah he's he's fantastic i think the rest of this is just yeah, it's just all stuff. the okay. and stuff. All right, we're gonna look at the we're gonna look at the tiers so we can let people know what they can get, um, and then we're gonna play the game of did you make a retailer tier, <laughs> 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 which is always my favorite game when we talk about Kickstarter. Uh, you know, I uh, I stopped making them because <laughs> I never got anyone ordering them. Really interesting. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, six bucks gets you a fit but... a digital. Any retailers uh, know how to get a hold of me? I, I mean, I may, I may or may not be able to uh, hook you up with uh, some kind of retailer tier payment. So, (laughs) Um, I think we just usually like like most retailers, we just kind of wait for it to hit previews or something like that. But sometimes books don't, and if we know ahead of time that they're not going to hit that. That's when I usually go to the Kickstarter and I back it. Um, so, um, 
you know, and and if it's if it's like, oh, we get even more cooler shit with it, I'll do that. And I don't know what this store schedule is going to be for this one yet, um, to be honest. So, okay. Oh, I'll pick three. That's kind of cool. I love the have a three way. <laughs> wow. Ali Amore. Yes. Have you ever, you know what a key party is? Ever, I, I, it's so stupid. <laughs> you just have fun with Isn't that old. That's an old school uh, Playboy. So that's game? yeah. So I, so weirdly, nineteen yeah, seventies thing. Yeah 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 yeah. So so weirdly, my wife was watching the the new version of Wonder Years. Like, did you watch this one? It's like it's like with the black uh-huh. family instead of the white family, and the parents, um, make friends with the the dad makes friends with the the kid's music teacher. The music teacher invites him over to his house for a party. And when they get there, they don't realize that it's actually going to be a key party. Um, and like the wife is like picking up on subtleties the whole time. And then at the end, like, he's just like, what the hell? Why did you invite me to this sex party? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, we didn't know if you were cool enough for it to be the sex party yet, but it's going to start <laughs> when you leave. Um, cause, cause somebody, somehow they brought up keys and initially they just needed to move his car but the wife was like this is one of those weird key parties isn't it like it was it was really funny um but yeah so so it's basically like everybody throws their keys all the dudes throw their keys in a hat and then the wives pick the keys of who they're going to end up sleeping with right like that's usually yeah that's my that's my understanding yeah (laughs) i guess it was like big in the 70s yeah yeah um i mean i know I know sure. Hugh Hefner did it back in the day too. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I mean, what didn't he do? But that's right? beside the point, you know. Right, right, right. So this is a lot of good, cool, cool stuff for like these these bundle uh, the pledge tiers. I try to get it. We, we we've tried to make these simpler now, and then we because well, fortunately, it's part of it's the Kickstarter platform. Now the add-ons are easier, so. Okay. Like you can add a whole bunch of other shit, but like you don't have to like put every single thing in the in the main reward tiers. So yeah, there's uh but what I did was I went through and picked like, hey, what are all of the issues of Mercy Sparks that Club Nephilim appeared in? You know, let's put those so if we have any of those issues, like let's make those available. Let's um, you know <laughs> the metal covers. Yeah. People love metal covers. Those are great because you know you can basically make them to order, so they keep their rarity by default. Just like you know, whoever wants them, then you you make like a little bit extra for us, and then that's that. That's cool. So I, yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it. It's a great way to, especially proper, you know, project like this. Uh, we just I just want to get it going, get it out there, and then eventually it ends up in the stores. And you know, there there's a couple. If it does well, there's a couple of other, you know characters there's this character wallace that i would love to spin off into a series too with a more of like a new orleans magic type of a vibe he's like this nine or ten year old looking little kid who's actually like the he's actually like 90 something and he made the mistake of getting his grandma's like voodoo stuff when he was a kid and summoned a demon <laughs> uh, summoned some kind of spirit and it didn't it, was, it didn't like it and it basically cursed him to stay that age forever Oh wow! He's a grumpy old man. He has a bunch of real estate, uh, and he's he's like super knowledgeable about magic because he spent his life trying to like, you know, 
learn how to correct his own situation and you know just now you know these are like all the characters that just appear you know briefly throughout the mercy series and uh it'd be fun to expand on them more that's awesome uh well i'm glad it's already funded um i you know i i'm looking forward to the book myself when it hits the stores um I will also imagine you will be bringing some with you to Three Rivers Comic-Con this year as you are a guest at the show. So yes. very excited about that, having you, back, having you back on the roster. So that announcement kicked out yesterday. So uh, everyone be excited. Yeah, I got a text uh, from someone. I don't know if they've been announced yet. So <laughs> he was oh. like, oh, remembers. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, well, I mean, there's only like, a couple people we haven't announced yet. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, cool. So let's talk. Let's do your origin story, right? So it's it's a comic show. We talk about origin stories, like like their secret, crazy, um, like you didn't like show up in a rocket ship from out of space or anything. Uh, but like, so how did you? When did you first get into comics and then how did you get into the industry and then how did you grow your business into what it is now? Because those are like the three main steps that I feel uh, in, embody you. Now, I will also say like you have always been the guy that's been like four steps ahead of everybody. Um, you were the first guy that has ever that ever told me about Uber. <laughs> oh, really? Um, in Baltimore. <laughs> like I remember being in Baltimore and we were hanging out. And I was like, why are you just standing here? And you're like, I'm waiting for my Uber. I'm like, what the fuck is Uber? Like, <laughs> uh, you were one of the first guys I ever talked to about Bitcoin. Um, like, like you just always have had your 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 finger on the pulse. So, um, so why I, I am that... I not a billionaire? <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, like, you know, like sometimes sometimes having your finger on the pulse doesn't always make it the best decisions because you're you're already that too far ahead sometimes. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out in your origin story. If they, if that is just a reoccurring theme throughout the whole yeah. thing. So I'm not always right, but yeah, any success I've ever had, all the successes I have had have all come from something that like everyone else thought was kind of weird or whatever, you know? And then, then, mm -hmm. uh, years later it's becomes a, th a bigger thing. And, uh, so I kind of, it's weird if I don't know, I don't know if everyone's already on to something. I'm, I'm like, you know, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. If they're all in agreement with everything I'm doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, uh, I got, I, I mean, I'd gotten a, I, well, when I was, so when I was born, I was obsessed with drawing. Like I can't remember ever not wanting to draw and make, and make stories. Like I never just really drew pictures. I always had to like make a story with it. So my parents just say I did that when I was like two, three. Um, Crayons on the wall. They're like, yeah, they're like, just leave you alone. You'll draw for like a three-year-old. Sit there for two hours and draw. Like you're like, so they were probably nice. like jackpot. <laughs> um, He's so but, quiet. Um, nice. <laughs> and then, yeah, when I was like five, I was really obsessed with like, I wanted to make like animation. I remember like trying to explain, I want to make the cartoons on TV. Because when I would say, well, I wanted to make, be a cartoonist people thought I meant like comics, like the newspaper. Mm -hmm. I was, so I was, when I was, I was really serious about when I was like nine years old, it was like, I want to be an animator. And then, um, by the time I was around 12, uh, I, I had like sent off letters to like 
Disney studios and stuff. <laughs> like, Hey, wow. how do you be an animator? And they would write you back, uh, back then they would send you like a brochure and everything. Um, but That's then all cool. I would ever do was draw comics from the time I was like GI. Well, my dad always had comics laying around like, but he wasn't really like a big collector. Like he just had like a mail subscription to uh, Conan. Yeah. Conan was like his thing. He got in the mail. And then he was kind of, you know, he had got had been into the Thor and the Hulk and stuff as a kid. And that now is that. But it wasn't like he was like, he was always creative and into whatever random little creative project at the time. But he was never like, oh, I love comics. But I think that was like a big deal, though, because I was I just was born drawing. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't like a stigma about a comic or something, you know. And then my mom was super creative, too. And I was trying to, you know they all they both encourage that kind of thing so um and then uh i would um oh but i really when i was like young a tween you know all i was doing was drawing comics oh the gi joe comic came out that went in i was a little late to it but i think it was like gi joe 61 or something like that that i got as a kid um in a in like a 7-eleven because i had finally got i got into the cartoon and got into the toys and I was like really excited that the cart, the comic was like had real bullets, and they actually shot the Cobra guys. <laughs> <laughs> it was more violent. Um, and then uh, felt like I was reading something like really adult, you know. And then got, it, then I just got obsessed with that comic, and that was the first series I read religiously and looked for back issues and stuff. And then the Michael Keaton movie. Well, for the next several like couple several years, I just drew comics nonstop. So when I was around 12 or 13, I was like, I don't think I want to do this animation thing. Like, I, I want to, you know, all I do is draw comics. So then I started writing letters to, you know, the comic book companies asking how to, you know, how do you get in this business? And, and then, um, and I, I, I don't think I thought of that on my own. I think that probably had to be my parents being like, well, if you want to do it, find out. <laughs> so then uh Batman movie comes out in 89. I'm like 12, I think. 12 or 13 and then the um yeah would have been 12 and then that is if you were around at that time that was like the biggest movie phenomenon ever and that's when you know the first time i ever asked my mom like i gotta go to a comic book shop i've gotta i've gotta go find where all this batman stuff is and then when you're 12 years old and you're getting like Frank Miller's the dark Knight and a <laughs> you know, killing joke. <laughs> and you know, your parents, they're like, Oh, sure. Whatever. It's Batman. And then you know, you're uh, reading this intense stuff that then I was hooked um, and got it. So I, that opened the door to the DC universe. I happened. Then I had an uncle that gave me like all these back issues he had of um, teen Titans by George Perez and Marvel Wolfman. And so I was forever like imprinted on the DC universe or they imprinted on my brain. And I just like never got into Marvel stuff. Um, Except for kids. Then I was into like, uh, <laughs> then I kind of discovered the, the had no idea the Ninja Turtles, you know, started as this like awesome, violent black and white comic, you know? And I got those first comics, like colored reprints of the turtle collections. Um, and then that sent me down like this indie path, where um and I was always into the story, you know, and I like I would read like Walt Disney's biography and other artists like background. I was always a sucker for those kind of stories. So it was always really into like that idea of the person that built the 
built built something you know mm-hmm. while being a creative um and then uh and then I th- the thing that sealed it forever was like the image guys all leaving marvel and um you know starting image comics and creating their own characters doing what they wanted and you know and th- th- that you know they had this funny because at the time they're like rock stars like literally like our local newspaper in cincinnati like had the front cover of the whole entertainment section was about image comics <laughs> wow yeah that's cool um so i just started you know what i had done since i was a kid i was like would talk to the adults who were doing it um and just like there was never really any cons around or anything and i could never my parents ran into it enough to get like they weren't gonna they hate traveling they weren't gonna drive me to some con in another city so uh, i had to wait and there was a couple i got to go to with like actual professionals there and stuff and um asked some like local guys who were distributing through diamond and self-publishing you know how they were doing it and they're I mean, when, when you're, especially when you're a younger, like teenager and you're asking these like serious questions, adults, man, they, they love to help you, you know, uh, mm-hmm. so they just told me how to do it. And, and, uh, and then I just started thinking more about learning how to, how you would publish, but I was really still trying to get picked up by different publishers. So now I'm like 16 or something, sending terrible submissions to, all these publishers, all these fly by night, night, like, you know, 90s publishers, you know, back in the day when someone would produce anything and be able to sell 20, 30,000 copies. Oh, and, and I got so people, many, so many. So. Little do I at the time know, like, I'm 16, totally unqualified, sending horrible submissions to like a 21 year old who's also totally unqualified to be a publisher. Um, <laughs> and they're like, you know, I got some some accepted and then uh but like i would never get like a real contract or anything and um i was i'd like get a contract i would like try to rewrite the contract if i did get one and then and i would show it to like a, I had a business school elective in high school show it to my business teacher like the closest thing i had to uh you know like a business lawyer <laughs> yeah yeah um and then uh um but then, so when I was, uh, so this, so I, that, that was sort of like, I was always, I mean, it was from like day one, always trying to do that kind of stuff and always like making little odd jobs for myself, you know, like just for money. Like, so when I was 12, I made little flyers and put them around the cul sack and where I lived in Florida, like, Hey, I'll walk your dog or mow your lawn or whatever, you know, <laughs> Nice. uh, and then, um, Worked at a, in the, when I was 14, got a job at this place called Wagon Wheel Flea Market in Pinellas Park, Florida, where we could work uh, as much as we wanted all weekend for like $4 an hour. And they didn't care about child labor laws. They let you work like 11 hour days. So me and one of my other friends were like, well, we need make, to, we need to, we need to make sure people understand like at that time, that was pretty much minimum wage. And wage is 425. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But you were if you were under sixteen, you weren't supposed to be able to work more than like four hours. I think that was the rule. Yeah. Something like that. And we would work like eleven hour days. Um and we wanted to, like, because we were like we're like eighth grade getting like sixty dollar checks like every weekend. 
like we're like ballers rolling man rolling yeah, so and then we would turn around we would go to the flea market to the comic book booth at the flea market and give all the money to the comic book guy nice <laughs> so uh and then um then like as i i mean i always i knew this is what i was going to do high school i was always like you know i was always able to be in like the advanced classes and stuff but i didn't get great grades i'd get like b's you know mm -hmm. roughly somewhere around a b on most things yeah. uh, or a b minus c on the harder classes but like stay enough enough advanced level to get the credits to where like okay I can go to college, but I, I just, back then, if you went to any art college, like nobody wanted to do comic books and they would almost, like, I had art teachers trying to dissuade me from doing comic books. And, um, and I was like, I was afraid to go get a degree at some art school to do like fine art or something because everyone, I, and I was like afraid I would be wasting time and, uh, mm -hmm. have to unlearn a bunch of stuff. Um, so I went to a two-year commercial arts school that was like a portfolio school you went to five days a week um, to learn like commercial art and, and mar marketing and graphic design and all that. And um, so, it, but in right as high school was ending, I got a publishing deal with like an actual, like with this company Hall of Heroes, which at the time was like publishing these like eight other 18 year olds that were like blowing up. And they were in like Wizard Magazine and all that. And I was gonna um I was gonna have a book with them and called Minotaur. And we this I'm taking a long time to tell the story before it's you okay. even get to the so good. Uh so like I'm mean like literally like using my uh I was really, really fortunate to end up going to this school. I, I left Florida where my dad lived, moved back with my mom and my stepdad just by circumstance and then having this really good high school, like a public high school at Oak Hills that had some really great electives and teachers like this graphic design teacher taught us how to assemble our own books. And then they had an old printer there. Like you, we, we loaded up the ink ourselves, made the plates ourselves in the film room. And it was all before, wow. <laughs> before PDFs and shit. Um, but we had some programs to set up stuff and printed my own ash cans and, so, I mean, I was like, all right, man, I got my ash cans. I'm ready to go. Like, this is going to be hitting. I mean, it's going to be announced that we're with this company. I'm going to literally, like, step right out of high school and be in Wizard Magazine. <laughs> and, you know, that's it. <laughs> um, and then they, like, at the last second, we're like, yeah, we're not going to do this book. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've, done, I've, I've talked to the guy since then, you know, uh, who ran all that but i was just like i had all this time the last several years was like learning how people distribute things and how they get it published and so well i'm just gonna do it myself fuck it you know and there was this other guy scott Wherley, who was like working with me on some of that and um i had a small group of friends that were oh everyone was all trying to get their stuff published so i just um said you know i'm just gonna do it so as soon as i could i got it instead of coming out in 1995 when I graduated it, it the earliest I could get anything out I think was like March of 96 okay. so then uh yeah came out and that was my first published comic it was it's funny because now comparatively like I think we sold thousands of copies and you know uh, I had an add-in diamond and an add-in uh 
God, there was even Capital was still around then. Yep, another distributor. And we got, you know, a couple thousand or 2,000 orders from each distributor. And, and I was in business, did a four-issue series there and did a anthropomorphic kind of comedy thing called Penguin Brothers in 97. And then I started to do this, like, I was getting better, you know, I <laughs> started to learn what I was doing and had then that allowed me to do a bunch of conventions, just driving around shows I could go to. And so Pittsburgh, I exhibited, I think, I think my first Pittsburgh show was 96. Wow. Um, I was really excited because they would get everyone free McDonald's hamburgers. Um, <laughs> I remember they did that every year until the end. It, it literally happened every year. I, at some point, I think you had the option of a McChicken, though. So. <laughs> so I try to I try to never get jaded on the cons and stuff, and because I'll, I'll always remember dying, like just dying to be able to waiting for the day when I could be able to be at the show to be there Friday. I would always go to these cons, and I would never, I would always like have to work, and I would never be able to go to the show until Saturday. Oh man! Um, and then, uh, so. Uh, but that's around so now we're getting into like the late the end of the 90s um and so i published penguin minotaur penguin brothers started to get into like self-publishing some other people but i never actually came out with anything uh put out some friends like hardcore punk album <laughs> like with that's a devil awesome. somewhere there's a hardcore punk album called for the fall with the devil's do logo on it um and then, uh, well, I was Labyrinth Studios was the first company. And then I changed it to uh, um, Devil's Due in like 99, 2000. Um, <clears throat> but uh, getting off track. No, it's cool. I'm I'm actually oh. trying to look at look for that logo. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm very, I'm like, oh, really? I'm sure everybody, every guy in the band was probably embarrassed after by now of this, of this <laughs> those songs. Um I did, uh, what was I going to say? Um, <clears throat> oh, but you know, that's the thing though. Like to anybody who's just starting out like that though, like you just, you just show up and start doing shit. And like, you know who I met when I was 18 doing my little crappy black and white books, Gene Ha, you know, wow. Guy Davis, Andy Kuhn, um, Jill Thompson. Like, I mean, all these people were like, they were going to these little ballroom shows like in Indianapolis and places inside of like a Sheridan hotel, because that's what cons were, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, and then, and then the big con was like mega uh, mid Ohio con in Columbus, right. Ohio, which was still in a hotel, like down the halls, the aisles, the, the aisles and everything. Um, and John, I mean, people like John Byrne and George Perez and everything were there. That was, that was like the, all the pros in the Midwest went there. And so I would do Chicago Con and then Mid Ohio Con were like the big ones to me. <laughs> and um and then Pittsburgh was a big one for me. Um but then so then meanwhile, you know, you have to make a living. So I got out of that two-year art school. I went into a place um that hired a a couple a couple jobs for a minute that like they immediately like laid everybody off or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and then I found this place. Oh no, I found this place called Velvachine, which was like doing like licensing. They had licensed like Looney, Looney Tunes shirts and Smurf shirts and all kinds of stuff like that. So that's the first time I got like a style guide 
you know mm, yeah yeah you license a property here's all yep. the stuff you have to all the rules you got to follow and you have to and use this you, know, font, you can't use this oh yeah, yeah yeah i know i know how it works and then they got they had just gotten bought by a like a 400 million dollar company and merged so i went from this what it, you could now in, in hindsight i was like oh this was like a cool little mom and pop very family oriented company that sold cashed out to this bigger corporation which was not run that way so it was a weird and i'm just like i had no idea what was going on with like not understanding like how crazy that must have been for those people. I'm just like the 20 year old kid that's been hired. Like, and they're like, you know, Adobe illustrator. Right. And I'm like, well, I know this other thing called freehand that my teacher insisted on teaching us that no one's ever going to use again. <laughs> so I, I would sit there, you know, I had access to the style guides. I was, they were like giving me tutorials to catch up on Adobe illustrator and, and I'm drawing stuff. And, and uh, so it was the, per I love it. You know, it was a perfect, gig i could have had it didn't pay shit i think it still paid like ten dollars an hour or something nine dollars an hour <laughs> but um it's a far cry from 425 still and in the, the 90s man that's like double it's almost double uh minimum wage it's pretty yeah cool. no i that's i moved out when i got yeah. that I, I when i had that i i was like able to get my own apartment with a roommate and stuff so i always remind people my age of that we were able to do that kind of shit when they're bitching about uh any gen z people or anything like that um <laughs> but um yeah so I, then they uh laid everybody off i was there for like eight months i think and then mm -hmm. i bounced around and i found a job at this place called ripple junction um which was like they had been doing novelty shirts and stuff and then they were just getting into like licensing mm -hmm. and so now i've got two years two and a half years of actually publishing going to cons being like a weekend warrior doing all that um and then you know getting some write-ups you know we got mentioned in some of the magazines and stuff and and uh i was also building like freelance clients so then i i um um uh, i got the ripple junction ended up like we basically the, the short version is they wanted to just start doing this eighties retro line and they were like making it all about sports and stuff, which I didn't know anything about. And I, <laughs> I showed him like Cobra and logos and Decepticon logos and Autobots. And like, you need to do this eighties stuff. Like, cause this is all me and my friends talk about. Everyone is obsessed with this stuff. We all wish it would come back. And then we want to all see it come back and be more like badass and stuff. And they just didn't get it. And we, we like argued about it. And then, but then they, they backed me, like they, they went ahead and, you know, did this whole line of shirts and they couldn't get, they couldn't get Hasbro and Mattel and stuff to even do the licenses. Like they did, they didn't want to license those things. Cause they were like, everybody like a broken record was like, why would you do something from the eighties? Like that's old. Right. <laughs> and, um, they wanted to do all their early, their like late nineties, early two thousands kind of stuff. So, uh, late nineties stuff. Anyway, that job, I learned everything about licensing. I learned, I did learn how to you legitimately get a license. Um, I learned how to go to like these trade shows, like all these apparel trade shows playing in a way bigger level than the comic cons and how to set up the booths and work with the unions and all that shit. So, um, then, so when I, by the time I was like 21, 22, 
I had like, I knew how to publish books. I knew how to do a handle licenses. I knew how to like exhibit at a convention and basically run like the, the company's launch that way and we we started this line called old school and we got i mean these shirts blew up they shirts and stickers and all kinds of shit beanies and hats and they were in like hot topic there was nice. a store called gadzooks um, i remember they had zooks yeah yeah and i was they were like they had a deal with me where i was they they i started getting paid i think it was making like 15 bucks an hour once they i really like provided this value for them and then they were like, I had a deal where I was getting like a 10% royalty or something on profits or something that they made. However much I, their business had nice. grown or something, something like that. I just remember in my head, I think it was going to be something like 40 grand that I was going to get because they made so much money. Wow. And, um, and then uh, we were at in New York at the Javits Center for a apparel show. And I literally, I doodled the Devil's Due logo at that show when I was bored sitting at the booth, just trying to think of like a cool idea for like a, um, a line of, uh, I don't know, like could be streetwear, it could be a studio name, could be a comic book company, could be anything, you know? And uh, they um, got the cease and desist letter and they got a phone call in there. They got, we got a phone call from their secretary back at their office that Hasbro had like laid down like cease and desist and um oh. and then uh they basically like had to just put the kibosh on everything like all that so but in that time we and so i didn't get that i didn't get that cash oh bummer <laughs> they had they had done grateful dead licenses and i guess some of the some of the way a lot of that stuff went is if you got caught they would work with you like hey man look look you got to pay back royalties and you gotta we'll we'll do out a okay. deal with you, but we gotta, you know, you gotta do the story way. And like they had never done anything like this where one of these bigger corporations was just gonna be like, no, we're not all groovy, man. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to pay a bunch of money in like oh. back royalties and and they had to like scale down and and they um uh, but we had the Voltron, we got the Voltron license legitimately. Uh or you know, they were able to get that and we because I had been at a con and met Peter, Peter Laird, I had a, a phone a phone number to call, uh, and I got a Mirage Comics license for Ninja Turtles, which ended wow. up being huge for them later. Um, and they uh, some some other stuff too. Um, so I it was a super cool job, but I was still I was so obsessed with wanting to make comics, and I was just like miserable at that job every day. And I um, had built up enough freelance. But I felt like, you know, you know, I think I'm going to make the jump and just do freelance so I can focus on making my comics more and just keep going to the cons and slowly grow until mm-hmm. I can stop the freelance and just do the comics. Um, and then uh, the. Um, so, but I knew knowing what I knew about the licensing, I went ahead and, and said I wanted to take I was going to want to take a chance on saying, you know what, I want to do some of this 80s shit like I've just seen it. Everything that I thought would happen was right. Everybody wants this stuff. And still no one's doing it in comics. Meanwhile, um, like, you know, Wizard Magazine is doing stuff in every month. They have J. Scott Campbell draw these crazy mashups of Thundercats and He-Man and G.I. Joe yep. and Transformers and all that. So, uh, yeah, most people know 
well, this story or they can dig it up <laughs> elsewhere. But I got the I pitched for the GI Joe license. Um, and literally I sent them the comics I'd been publishing, you know, um, but I wrote up a proposal. I sent sample art of what we would do and they wrote back and then they set up a, um, uh, yeah, they offered, they offered me a deal over the course of like, this is over several weeks, but, and I, they offered a ridiculous, like absurd royalty payment for me to make. And I said, yes. <laughs> um, and just, we got the deal. And then I, instead of self-publishing, I was able to set up a deal with image comics, uh, with image central to, for, and this was for to secure the GI Joe license. So mm -hmm. they got, um, we got that in. I think the others even there was some resistance to image too, but like somebody, I don't know what internal battle was fought there, but somebody said we're doing it. And then we, um, yeah. And it was like their number one book. It was the hit. We sold like over 150,000 copies of the first issue all said and done. And, um, that's awesome. And that's that. So then I was all of a sudden officially, by the time when that came out, I was officially in comic books full time. Nice. And then everyone was like, who the fuck's this kid that came out of nowhere? <laughs> How come he's drawing G.I. Joe? What, or writing writing G.I. Joe? What got into comics yesterday and all of a sudden it's like it's all good. Six year okay, overnight man. success story. That's awesome. Uh I I think I knew I think I knew most or at least most of the the tail end of that story i think i knew i think i think you had told me about like that last part where like they got hit with the royalties and then you just were like fucking i'm going on my own like i think you told me that a little bit of that before at some point but that was it's just really good to hear it's really cool to 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 hear that you know your gut was so right on what it needed to be and you proved it right in one different industry completely and then just shifted and boom and that's that was your gateway into into the to, to bigger bigger self-publishing we'll call it that so yeah. i guess the difference that there versus some other times when i'll feel like i see a trend or something was that i just felt like i'm not guessing here guys this is this is fact like and if you don't agree with this you're wrong like this is just people want this <laughs> Right. And so you're you're like you're so committed to that idea. Right. That, you know. Well, it's like right now with like all the, the comic stores that are not starting to stock manga. Like Oh my god, yeah. Like, dude, do you do you like money? Like <laughs> like come on, yeah. man. Um so it's it's very, very interesting. I was talking to Todd today. I I just mentioned I was like I was like, I think you you'd gotta start seeing like dealing with all of this backstock. You got to start seeing people now who are really like in their, you know, early thirties, late twenties getting into like, Hey man, you got this 20 year old copy of whatever berserk or dragon ball or something, but you know, that's yep. got to start. To yep. Real. Oh, it is. Um, I'll be right back guys. Support by the stores all the time. So. Justin, you're in charge. I'll be right back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, it, you know, talking about all the, like as somebody who grew up, we're probably around the same age, I believe. Um, so you know, I'm a He-Man fanatic. Yeah, you know, I was just telling John, I just binge watched the Kevin Smith uh, Netflix because it came out just today, and I binged. Oh, oh it dropped today. Yeah, it dropped today. I binged all five episodes, and it was like it was super sweet. I was like, <laughs> I was like, why didn't they do this in 2000? I'm like, 
this seems obvious stuff, but it was, you know, you know, but then, you know, you always hear the, the old school guys are like, oh, this ain't my He-Man, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, appreciate for what you got. I was like, this is way better than the stuff we watched when we were kids, where the animation cells were crap. You had the same scenes done, slightly different angle, or, hey, we added an, a tree to it, and that was how different it was as compared to now, where you're getting everything and anything, like different action scenes, the whole nine yards. And I was like, oh, okay. yeah. He Man cracks me up the most, I think, because if there is no bigger example of like, it's better on your memory. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. When you go watch those cartoons, man, they are rough. Oh, yeah. But, but the people that get it, that embrace it, some, you know, friends with Tim Seeley, who now is like, I think at this point, Mattel pretty much goes to him and asks if like, this sounds like a cool thing for all the He-Man stuff, because he's knows <laughs> so much about He-Man and he works with them a lot. But they're like, that's someone who like embraces the absurdity of it, you mm-hmm. know? But just goes all in on it. And I think Kevin Smith really understood what yeah. to just like don't try to dance around it and come up with some reason why a character looks this way or that way. Just it is what it is, man, and just own it. Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean I look at it this way is you're seeing in pop culture, like in general, of was it the uh again, Netflix reference here is that the toys that made us docuseries stuff. Every toy line is you got the creators going, oh, this is how we started with this. Like the guys from He-Man, every one of those creators totally off the rocker, like totally nutso. (laughs) But they're like, but this is where these characters came from. And this is how we did it. And, you know, now it's here they are, they're a retirement age. And they're like, yeah, we still get people coming up to us going, yeah, thank you for my childhood. And now I'm teaching my kid there, you know, He-Man the next generation, or I guess what the better uh, thing would be Ninja Turtles, where Ninja Turtles is now not just our generation, but it's 2000, 210s into oh, the yeah, current. Oh yeah, there's like five you know, generations of Ninja Turtles yeah. fans. There's like there's like different categories. It's because you've got you've got the groups that make you made they made the toy that was like a big hit. And then they never quite were sure how to reboot it. Um, or or they successfully rebooted it many years later. They got stuff like Ninja Turtles and like Power Rangers and things like that. That they just never once they hit, they never went away and they just kept reinventing themselves constantly. So like they might have less popular reinventions, but I mean, it's kind of fascinating how they and, and impressive how something like Ninja Turtles just stayed alive you know and now now it's 40 years later oh no or however long <laughs> no not that long but having it it's uh it's really having its resurgence now like with kevin he's been back with like you know ronin yeah. and mm-hmm. all that um uh and then i think now like jason aaron's taken over and it's like all hyped up again and i'm i'm genuinely shocked at how the 80s retro stuff now this literally like this week this year like is so popular because it's funny when 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 gi joe was the first when i got that license that was the first 80s retro comic cartoon thing period like to come out before like, before transformers before dreamwave got the license for transformers or anything and so everyone like it was the same thing 
the retailers were not expecting it to do as well as it did. And it was like this complete shock hit to everyone, but it was super painfully obvious to anyone who was like wanting it to come out. And everybody, because they didn't know who we were or who I was, it's like so many people roll their eyes, you know, at this 80s thing. And I, the whole time I'm thinking like, yeah, no shit. I've been trying to make comics my whole life. I do genuinely really want to do this. I fucking love this. I can't believe I get to bring it back. Um, But yeah, I don't know how long this 80s five is going to last. I hope this propels me enough so that we can put, do all of our other stuff. And yeah. And, and the irony is, like, no, actually, the 80s stuff never went away. And now it's even more, it's it's not hitting the numbers, even the new Joe stuff. I mean, it's not hitting the numbers that we did back then, but. Um, but it's definitely better than what it was toward the end yeah. of the IDW era. Yeah, it's, which, it's, yeah. it's close to, like, and it's been. You need things to sort of like be in a lull for a while before you can do a relaunch, you know, before you can have excitement. And yeah. it's interesting now, too, because I like that when we did it and, and when you were launching that in like the year 2000, 2001, you know, it was all about we 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 were we had all these ideas about what these things could be when we were kids and as we got older, but it was always toned down. Mm -hmm. So once we're finally adults, we're like, now we can bring it back and can be like badass. The art can be more like modern and, you know, we can well, be more, more violent and more, you I, know, more serious. It could be, it, it could be as what it is in your memory, what you wanted to always see them do that they couldn't get away with. Well, around that time when you guys were, were bringing back GI Joe um, and even Voltron uh, a little later, um, like that's when, there was that resurgence of like, there was a new GI Joe cartoon with like the newer cartooning style. There was that new, there was the redo of He-Man um, that was basically the same sees first season of He-Man with just way cooler looking art. And that was the one that paired with the image stuff. And it was almost like image went, okay, we're going to partner with Josh. We're going to get this GI Joe thing going. It's going well. All right, now let's buy He-Man. Let's get all this other stuff. And then, then it just, the train kept rolling and it was like almost the first wave of that resurgence. And you were right on the cusp, man. You were like right ground zero pushing it up. And um, I think there's a lot of people that have to have you to thank for that, because I don't think if you would have done that, that it would have been as uh, it wouldn't have hit as, as hard with everybody. And now people are like, they're hunting down your issues at G.I. Joe because they're it's, so hard to find. <laughs> it's kind of staggering how many people don't know about any of that stuff. I, I'm learning. I'm just learning this. I just assume it was such it was such a, a big deal when it was out. Mm -hmm. Like if you're in comics, I just kind of thought people knew about it. But if you if you uh, IDW had it for so long, you know, they had it for like 13 years. Um, yeah. And, and even though they. That whole almost decade that I that I was running it um, was all ended right as like social media took off, um, and right right as all of the magazines were started like just going all digital, and so uh, so much of like evidence of the hype machine and how mm -hmm. how popular it was. There's no record of that. Um, so then when you see like you know, 12, 13, 14 years of IDW shit. 
it's like uh yeah that's makes sense that people are like they think that like oh yeah that was like this thing that that was there was like a few of those issues right those devils do issues and they realize like oh shit they start collecting and they realize like oh my god how many of these are there you know um because i think we did as many as marvel did in 12 years and we did it in seven years if you add up all the issues and, and volumes and stuff but the right, um right but now and comic shops were in a different position at the time too like the market was way different um uh marvel was still figuring out what it was doing coming out of bankruptcy letting like you know casada and palmiati mess around with different ideas and Oh no, Jim! By then, Jemis and Casada were like in charge and just doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And you know, the Ultimates had just started. So those that GI Joe in that '80s launch brought a lot of people back into stores, who mm -hmm. you know, like saw on the news or something that GI Joe was back, or you know, some other '80s thing was back. And then they would come in, and then they realized all the other fun stuff that was starting to happen in comic shops again. And then they got back into it. So I don't think that whole era gets enough credit for that phenomenon gets enough credit for bringing people back to comic shops period. Um, but now it's a, now it's interesting now because uh, I like, if I was relaunching that stuff now, I wouldn't do anywhere, anything like what I did before. Like, cause what I, well, the way I relaunched it then made sense for the time. Now you don't have to be so serious. You know, you can go and you can get a little more into like the weirder stuff. And you can people will embrace some of the goofier stuff more too, a little bit, and you can, you know, a lot of the stuffs come full circle now. So um, I think I think what what uh, Skybound's doing with <clears throat> with some of the GI Joe stuff, with Cobra Law, whatever. I think that's we could have never if we did that back then. We would have been like eviscerated by fans, like how you know. Um, but like it makes sense. Oh yeah, because like the Cobra Commander book, yeah, 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 talk, yeah, stuff like that, so. and just like the um, uh, but yeah, I, they're. I mean, I can't believe, yeah, Thundercats, Gargoyles, all this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like kicking ass. So, right, yeah, Thundercats comes out in like next week, week after that or something. Like it's really, it's very close. Actually, I just got um. Uh, I was just shown the the Maria Wolf variant for Thundercats one, and it's like an homage to X Men two hundred one. I think oh, two hundred one, two hundred two, like mm -hmm. where it's like it's like Lionos scratching the the front of the thing. It's really cool. Um, oh, that's such that's a clever idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's like been blowing up and stuff. So, um, but you know, but and it's weird because she's younger than us. She's like ten years younger than me. At least, so she's like she, probably close to fifteen years younger than you, because I think you're four years older than me. I was telling so, you, like, I telling you, she did that, um, like, just promotional art for us for part of one of our tours in like 2017, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she was pop. She had some pieces popping up in, like, you know, like kind of like our little local hipster art gallery scene in Chicago, and um, that's how I saw her stuff because it was and it was like, oh, this is like looks like total like heavy metal kind of vibes, mm -hmm. and um. Yeah, and that's the sign of the times and how how more diverse the changes are becoming in the, the taste of like the made the bigger companies, like like I like I loved your stuff. I never thought I would see it on like all these Marvel books, right? And well, you well, Daniel Warren Johnson, who has a similar style, doing a whole Marvel run of books, like because he did that whole Beta Ray Bill run, you know, and then he's oh, I, yeah done he's done variants. Now he's doing 
uh, Transformers, like, you know, and he's even he's even cranking it up to another level because he's mixing in like wrestling and stuff, like where the like like where uh, Optimus Prime like suplexes freaking um, <laughs> Starscream at the end of the first issue, and you're just like, what? And it's it's crazy. Like, so. I think had that art style been in the books back when Dreamwave was obsessively have like Don Figueroa style like crazy super detailed. Like yeah. perspective on all the robots and everything if you had put that style of like loose kind of gestural art in there people would have been like what is this you know <laughs> um so it's nice that now we're like can appreciate different styles you know and it's kind of funny now that super tight detailed stuff was almost is kind of dated and then mm-hmm. that'll come back around once once people see like the more expressive kind of like looser style transformers right. i think then they'll like dig in to these old like you know crazy hyper detailed rendered you know drawings well um, i think there's a i i think that there is a a medium ground in that 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 style that's kind of you know coming up more popular now like that heavy metal style because like there is a lot of detail to it but it's not it's like an unpolished version, right? So it's almost like, like, and I'm going to, I'm going to go into music because that's what I do. Um, <laughs> so it's like listening to Rush, right? Cause they were like the first real, like Rush or yes. Like they're like the first real prog bands, right? But they're not and but they started something that's nowhere near as crazy detailed as what is now. Right. So like, but if you listen to Rush and then you, compared to like dream theater dream theater is like insane like they'd be like the the like the uh j scott campbells right <laughs> like they're like the super detail and then you you have bands like smashing pumpkins or foo fighters who have like you can hear that influence but they're gonna be but they're also influenced by the stuff that makes them a little more sloppy that makes it just right in that that pocket for what people want right now, because like, and, and it's going to come back like the, the nineties, super Jim Lee, um, like super pristine, lots of detail guys. Those guys are going to come back. And I mean, they never really went away, but that kind of style is going to come back. But I think we had it for so long and it kind of morphed into that cheesecake beefcake thing that, I think a lot of people got kind of sick of it. Um, yeah. and, then it be- and then it became to the point where it's like, oh, that's great for covers, but you guys can't do interiors because it's too detailed. So, um, you know, when you think about like Jack Kirby, like I heard a great story from from Jim, Jim Stranko about Jack Kirby when he was inking Kirby. And he said, Kirby would only ink the parts that were super detailed that he wanted specifically done. Everything else was like, line <laughs> like not even a real sketch it was like here's kind of where his hand will be here's kind of where his foot will be you can you can figure it out <laughs> like but like but like but his belt would be like pristinely drawn already and it's like that's okay, how you draw okay. five pages of the day right <laughs> <laughs> you make the inker do it right <laughs> and that yeah like you know, that's kind of how I, I thought mean, about that. So there's a reason why they called him the king. He knew what yeah. he was doing. <laughs> I well, he had to smoke a cigar between every page; it'd be fine. <laughs> so I kind of wonder how the like 
Well, first off, I think on a macro level, the market's just going to change so drastically. I don't know if these conversations of like one dominant style are going to even be a thing. There's going to be so many different yeah. niches, just like music. You know, yeah. look at music pre Napster and then <laughs> and then and then yeah. iTunes and yeah. then streaming. Like so, um, com like, but I do currently wonder where all the hype around a lot of this stuff is seems like I'm like, I can't believe to like this, this multi like double cycled retro stuff is doing so well right now. And it's like, is that just because we're, is it the same people? Is it, is it like the, is it now like 40 to 50 year olds that are buying it all or like, or are they, is it, they, they, they actually didn't get tired of it. <laughs> and they just got even more money than they had when they were in their twenties. So now they're just buying more of it, and they're and they're probably can they buy it when they're sixty five, and yeah, you know, um, or is it a bunch of younger people coming in helping buy it too? Because uh, I did, I wouldn't expect that as much, like, and I don't see that as much because I'm not in the stores, I'm <clears throat> the stores every day. Um, I I can tell you from what I observe, usually it is, I will say. The main guys who come in and buy new wall books are mostly majority thirty-five to fifty-five. Um, secondly, by like young young kids, like they're buying like the Saturday morning cartoon version Ninja Turtle book or the Sonic the Hedgehogs, right? Like the like the up to eighteen up. Well, I wouldn't even say eighteen up to like fifteen. But like that 15 to 35 is they're buying manga or graphic novels. Like they're not buying they, they want like a they want it collected, they want it finished, they want a whole story, they want the whole thing. They don't want to have to wait. It's it's very it's 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 very much so like, you know, when when people give the stereotypes of the generations, it is very much so that generation. Like they don't want to wait, they want the whole thing, they want the bang for their buck. They don't want to pay full price for it. They wait for it to go to discount, like, uh, or they buy it on Amazon or they buy it on eBay. Um, but the younger guys, the newer generation that's coming in, they're a lot like the older generation. So it's almost like, um, <laughs> it's it's almost generationally like like we were talking about Ninja Turtles. Like you know, you had like this generation, then there's the generation where that guy didn't have a kid yet. And then there's the generation where that guy has kids, so his kids are growing up with it, and then <laughs> they do it. So it's like every other generation is 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 feeding the feeding the flames. And I think it's, um, I I think we're we're coming out of a lull for comics. I think the pandemic I think helped those guys fill in all their spaces, all their all their slots because they were like free money from the government. Fuck yeah. So they all went and dug in our basement and they dug in our warehouse and they filled all those holes. And now they're like, well, no, I don't know what I need. So now all these younger kids are coming in and filling in that, like they're starting to pick up that, that, that torch. So that's what, oh my God. I think like all the, any, anybody, in our business who does <laughs> not want college student debt forgiveness. I'm like, you shut your whore mouth right now. Right? <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my God. How, right? What, how much <laughs> our industry would explode. Right? How much, yeah. how many, most industries would explode. Oh, uh, yeah. That, I, yeah. Right? 
Like, why they don't want these 20-somethings to not have money blows my (laughs) fucking mind. I'm like, you guys are stupid. Like ignorance is bliss, man. They they're like, or it's the uh, oh well, I did it. That means you gotta do it. No, no. (laughs) It's like yeah, you know what what else? else Our grandparents. I was gonna say our grandparents were around before there was a 40-hour work week, and they got paid eight cents an hour. You what? You know what they did? They worked 20 hours a day. You want to do that because that's what they did? I don't think so. Come on. <laughs> well, we, we'd we like to have our prices of all our houses and our cars the way our parents got back in the day. That's for sure. I'll take oh, that. Yeah. I'll take I'll take a brand new car for 20 grand, period. <laughs> well, they were talking about how like 40 grand in like 1985 is now would be the equivalent of like hundred and eighty thousand dollars right now yeah so, when they adjust all that stuff for inflation they show like yeah. basically like minimum wage should be something like 37.50 an hour or something yeah. like that right now <laughs> in order to be equivalent to what it was in like 1990 yeah like, like before it before it went like that yeah 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 not to get too far off on a tangent i really love this theory like there's all this fight against like People who are like more libertarian against fiat currency and money printing and all that. And like, um, I think you can have that and it's okay, but I think it should be tied. I think the minimum wage or the media, some kind of check and balance of the median salary or whatever has to be tied to the currency supply. And that solves all the problems. I agree. So the government could still print money to get itself out of messes. It can do all kinds of stuff, but like, it, you know, you don't have to be on the gold standard if, like, hey, if they want to print more money, well, then they have to raise the minimum wage. Yeah. That keeps <laughs> it from being. But, yeah, otherwise, you know, these debts that I brought these kids have, it's not, and, and fucking grown-ass people have, it's it's not yeah. like some, like, hard-working person's got it. It's in the some banker's hands. <laughs> like, right. the banks have it. Like, oh, no, poor, oh, don't take their... Right, anyway. like, I, I, was, I was talking to... Um... Like I, I'm still tied in with my fraternity guys, and I, I was talking to some of these guys that just graduated. So there's a twenty, almost a twenty year gap between when I graduated and when they graduated, and their debt is like five times what I paid for five years. They're doing four years at five times that at the same style university, and I'm just like, where the hell do you think you're gonna get a job that pays for that? Like, thank God for that government check that helped me pay off that last bit of mine. But yeah. holy crap. Yeah. Like, but oh. I, I just think it's, if you're in, just only ha- like half joking, but like if you're in anything entertainment or you sell anything useless in collectibles, after seeing the effects of a little $600 mm-hmm. stimulus payments or, or whatever they were, you know, a little whatever, mm-hmm. like seeing how much. It, our, our industry it fucking doubled like mm-hmm. comic sales went from one billion to over two billion dollars in one year yep after a steady progression of like I- incrementally going up for like 20 years and then it doubled and it hasn't dipped back down by a half it did down that uh after the pandemic but it's still on the trajectory yeah, yeah, it's, it's i don't even think it's and, it's not 20 percent down but it's probably like around 10 for so, where it was but yeah you talk about like right kind of like 
where things are going and trying to look ahead and all that. I look at like a repetition of this pattern that happened about a decade ago is happening. I'm going to happen again on the, like if it's a fractal, mm-hmm. like the first little fractal circles like this. And mm-hmm. then now we're about to hit this. Mm-hmm. It's like we were locked in that comic book boys club forever. And then in manga comes out in like 0405, you start to see like all of a sudden girls are reading comic books. Mm-hmm. I'll read the manga and they're, they're sitting in the aisles at Barnes and Noble and border when there was one on every block mm-hmm. and they're just like flipping through manga suddenly. And I'm not, I'm dead serious about this 13, 14 year old boys who wanted to start dating girls. Didn't have to stop reading comic books. That's what yep. guys used to feel like they had to do if they were a comic nerd and they wanted to start getting girlfriends. They got rid of their fucking comic books. So all of a sudden, there was this other out. We're like, oh, I could just all these these girls that went in. That that was sounds like I'm kidding, but that was a cultural shift. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, I mean, I, I, I mean, you can even look at like our company. Like that's around when we, I think, doubled the amount of stores we had, right? Because we think we yeah. were at two till about that, and then right around that time, that's when we bought Butler in two thousand, and then we. Had Century Three, and then, um, and then what? Pitts what is Pittsburgh Comics now? Was one of us for a while, and then when they when they when Colin, uh, what whatever Colin and Todd's deal was, and that he turned into Pittsburgh Comics, we opened the mills. <laughs> it was just like, and now it's just that we opened Ohio. Like it was progressively growing like that, and and it it was. I think you're right. I think we're gonna see that. I think we're going to see another bigger boom in probably like three years. I'm I'm calling it. Yeah, so. I, I agree with you. And uh, that kind of gets into what I'm talking about, too. Like the uh, side note, I would love to see some podcasts get more retailers involved. Can, like so many retailers are struggling and they talk about struggling. I want to get groups, of these retailers like Todd and like all these guys with like multiple chains that just keep growing and opening stores or they just seem to, they do it something differently. And like, like I want to hear those retailers talk about what, what is like going well. Um, anyway, side note, uh, but <laughs> yeah, like, so let's say like, Oh, you know, five so manga starting to take off. Thanks to like Tokyo pop, bringing a lot of it mm-hmm. over and all that. And then you've got, so you had, we start all of a sudden seeing like, there's all these like teenage, uh, girls showing up at cons and I was I remember thinking like oh that's cool like like another 10 years we're gonna actually have like an adult like female male ratio like leadership mm-hmm. and and um I think what I didn't like in hindsight 2020 was really obvious after that like oh well with manga comes the cosplay with manga cosplay was a manga thing that was only mm-hmm. in animations comic uh costumes before <laughs> Cosplay anime uh, influence was like a dude dressed as Aquaman just shopping, right. like or Superman, like, no one like, like an e- like a semi easy thing to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then like, um, but like if um anyway, so cosplay comes in, and then the Comic Con explosion. I I didn't really see how fast that would happen, how big the cons would grow. Um, all of this like between twenty two thousand five two thousand fifteen. All that stuff happened, and then Comic Cons became like literally like a 50-50 male female ratio, 
And but I always heard the same data like women read more than men. So if comics ever get mainstream acceptance, actually more women will read comics than men. And um, so then, uh, but yeah, then, so what happens? 2015 rolls around and I'm, it's like, yeah, we've got not only the readers, but what I had kind of was waiting for was now all these creators have come in. So that's when, and that's when you saw that image boom. You saw all this crazy explosion of all these diverse new stories and genres and everything that was in part due to a lot of new readers who got into it through manga and then they i wouldn't say they aged out of manga they just sort of got wanted got tired of reading the same kind of style of stuff and wanted to read other stuff and they didn't go the superhero route so we got that big explosion in like 2016 17 18 back when like people all of a sudden were coming in like i gotta get the first issue of every image book again and image could put out all kinds of crazy shit and it would different ideas and they were selling uh I'm, gla I'm glazing over a bunch of stuff like the walking dead phenomenon and all that but oh yeah well no i mean you're 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 hitting right where you need to though because like yeah like it, it the the thing i find funny though is like so we get all these female we start getting all these female readers and writers and people in the industry and then what do we do the the boys club the old boys club guys come out and they bitch about it and they ruin they try to ruin it and i'm just like guys <laughs> like and they do now they're doing it with the movie stuff like like i had two old employees call me and we had conversations about why the marvels was a great movie and people need to shut the hell up and <laughs> i'm like right <laughs> like i like it's like just... you're not allowed i i didn't see the movie but it's like to the, some of the attitude to me is like they're mad if every single Marvel movie is not for them. Like, guys, it's bigger than you now. It's different types of movies, you know. Right. Like, right. you know. Um, well, I guarantee you won't be hearing about that Deadpool 3, you know. <laughs> oh, no. Because everybody, you know, all the all the gatekeepers love that, love Deadpool. So. Yeah. Or at least you really, version wait, of Wolf whoa, 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 whoa. If we get if we get Lady Deadpool in this, it's gonna like they're gonna lose their shit. They're gonna they're gonna complain and cry, and it's gonna be hilarious. And we're just gonna be like, apparently, you still don't read the comics, dumbass. <laughs> Is she gonna have like that crazy '90s like like ponytail that goes like yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, but so what? So now. What happened then? Manga kind of like dove, you know, manga like really dove off a cliff in sales for many years. And then now it's it's coming back. So by like 28, 2019, manga is like 37, 40% of the industry again. Um, and then, uh, but what do we have now? Uh, as of up by 2019, something like 40 some odd 50% of all graphic novel sales were for kids. Mm -hmm. So Dog pants or dog man, Captain Underpants, Rena Tugmire stuff. I mean, all these books. Max Meow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't have that in 05. Right. We didn't like, um, and, and the numbers that they're selling are like millions of copies, just millions. And so now to now it's like, there's, it's hard to find a kid that didn't have comic books in their house in, in America starting mm -hmm. at that age. So, um, and now I was like, well, what's going to happen? by like right about now you know like they're gonna when you're like nine you know you're aging very quickly so 
couple years they're into like you know manga and stuff and they, they're gonna all you're gonna see manga just fucking explode um but there's already so many kids in manga in like 2019 2020 like you're gonna they're gonna be getting into all the you know when, when weird comic stuff and, yeah. and they're gonna they're gonna like kind of age up and want new to have a broader taste and not just want to read manga so and then we're about to see you know we last time we saw hundreds of new creators come in we're gonna probably see another like you know like thousand creators come in all influenced to grip starting with reading captain underpants and then you know reading mm -hmm. and dogman and then reading manga and then so by like i mean i i think by well before 2030 we've yeah. got huge population of people in like late teens and mid-20s who are, I mean, such a larger swath of people and they all read comics. Um, what what will, so that anyone who feels doom and gloom for the median, the medium itself is not paying any attention to like, to that trend. Right. Um, the, the nice orderly way that has been done up until now might go, might crumble, <laughs> might, you know, completely evolve into something else you don't recognize anymore. And, you know, that's what people will be sad about and complaining about or whatever, you know. Right. Um, yeah, but that's, um, I think we're going to see a massive explosion in comic book content and new creators and all kinds of stuff in the next few years. Um, so I look at it more like, well, just more and more, it's going to be about focus on your niche and like what people like about your stuff. Mm -hmm. And you kind of kind of have to put faith that there's just going to be there's going to be people out there <laughs> receptive yeah. to it and just listen to your, your audience more, but you think you're going to dominate the market or something. It's like, no, like it's, it's going to be more splintered like music, but yeah. there's going to be more than ever before. There's going to be more shit than ever before. And there's going to be more amazing stuff than ever before. Right. And, and you know, and that's the garbage too. Oh God, don't <laughs> even get me started on that. Um, but I mean, it, yeah, I mean, you can look at music too and go, you know, in the nineties, we had like this resurgence of like punk and then a new version of rock, which was grunge. And then in the two thousands, it was, ah, oh, we're just going to go to boy bands. And then, <laughs> and then it was, Hey, we're going to have this next new, like kind of like math Rocky, like guys like um like like borderline prog rock like like coheen cambria and um like motion city soundtrack and bands like that and you're gonna have that kind of a thing and then it's gonna be like oh now it's all those dudes that were big in like the 80s and 90s are now huge again because now they can do reunion tours or reunion shows so we're seeing like green days doing dookie and american idiot in its entirety next year because they're 30 and 10 <laughs> years old respectively like and then there's people like, oh man, I I'm gonna go. Uh, hey son, do you want to go too? And it's <laughs> it's it's the yeah. generational thing is starting to happen there again. So and I think the same thing's happening with, is gonna happen with comics. I think it the bigger boom was like the the first three phases of Marvel, and I think the uh, I think when when four hit, even though the pandemic probably helped make this divide a little more a little more like forced stop um i think that was coming but 
because there's no way they could have kept that trajectory and that that momentum um because you've used most of your really big characters right you now have to go to all right who's on the b team let's do the b team now and there was no way it was going to keep that bigger momentum so you know people that are like oh it's superhero fatigue i'm like not really it's just now now we're getting into like the more like hopefully you spent that time getting to know those characters and getting to all those side characters. So now you can read or you can watch a side character movie. Like it's not like all the mainstream again or the, the, the top tier anymore. And I think that, um, you know, I don't think it's ever going to go away. I don't think it's going to be like, I don't think we're going to get like the shitty Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie anymore. Um, like I think I it's still going to be better. It's like people, it's like, man, it's, we're so spoiled now. Like, People forget that's the stuff you had to, you know. I bought that on DVD not too long ago, by the way. It'd be funny if you watch it and you're like, actually, it was incredible. <laughs> Next time you come to town, I'll bring, I'll, I'll bring it and we'll, we'll watch it. Like it'll be, it'll be ridiculous. <laughs> um, set up a TV at the con and, and everybody just watches the Dolph Lundgren. Now nah, we'll just, we'll floor. just take over Todd's basement and make him bartend while we, uh. Well, we watched the Dolph Lundgren movie. I mean, he's got like the sprayed on five o'clock shadow. Like it's awesome. <laughs> it is so bad. So um, it's still not as so bad, bad as that his it's good. portrayal of He Man. Still not as bad as his. Yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> that's so bad. But Gwildor was so good. He was such a great <laughs> Orco. <laughs> the best part of that whole movie was Skeletor. Again, right. Skeletor is you're what not, carried Masters of the Universe. <laughs> Fair enough. So, is that, all right. Uh, I mean, there's, yeah. yeah there's, <laughs> there's some cool designs in that movie. All right. So you can find all of Josh's stuff at uh, devilsdude.net, right? Yep. Or uh, cool. devilsdudestudios.com. Cool. And where can they find you uh, if they look for you on a social media? Um, I'm on uh, Facebook at Blaylock Comics, um, Instagram Blaylock Comics, and Twitter Josh Blaylock. Cool. All right. Well, thank you again so much for coming on, and hanging out with us, Josh. Like, it's always great to hang out with you and hear stories. Um, you know, we went over a little bit of time, but that's fine because it was a good time, and uh, hopefully, somebody learned something today. So, <laughs> I have to go. So I, I did. I, I, I'm, I'm Todd's excuse to drink, so I've got to go. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for watching. We'll catch you next week. Um, make sure you check out threeriverscomiccon.com to check out all the uh, art artists and vendors that are coming out. Get your tickets now before free comic book day because then the prices go up just a little bit. And we'll see you guys in June for that. And remember to shop your local comic shop. Doesn't have to be us, but it does need to be somebody. Keep us employed. Keep you happy. We're going to keep you getting you stuff that uh, will always uh, give you a little bit of escapism and you will have some fun. I promise you, at least if whoever's working at the shop is worth half a damn, they will they will help you out and it'll be good. <laughs> so and order and make sure you guys put in pre-orders for uh, uh, Club Niflum and uh, we'll be good to go. So. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Sir.